question that was asked, and I thought it was pretty good. What do a plane, a bicycle, and a church have in common? If either of them stops moving forward, you're in trouble. Isn't that true? Amen? Amen. And if a plane stops moving forward, bicycle stops moving forward, or if the church stops moving forward, we are in trouble. We must continue to move forward as a body, the body of Jesus Christ, the church. We must move forward as the body, but also we must continue to move forward as individuals, individual believers within the body, because it is the individuals that make up the body of Christ, that make up the church. And so we as individuals must always be moving forward in our faith, as well as the church moving forward, but all of us individually moving forward in our faith, taking the next step, whatever that is in all of our lives, whether that is next step in our growing or in our serving or in our sharing or in our sowing or in our going, whatever it is, we're to constantly be moving forward in our faith. But there are times, there are times when we aren't wanting to move forward, or there are also times when we feel like we just can't move forward. And so how do we deal with that since we know that we're supposed to be moving forward in our faith? How can we move forward? How can we be faithful to move forward even in those times when we don't feel like it or we don't want to or we feel like we can't? Well, I believe that God has a word for us here in 1 Samuel verse chapter 16 in this series of David. And so let us be challenged today as we open the Word of God together and we hear what He has to say to us and walk away from today encouraged to keep moving forward, trusting the Lord all along the journey. Amen? Amen? All right, good, good. Well, in honor and reverence to the Word of God, 1 Samuel 16 is what we read. If you would stand. As I read that passage for us today, 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. And come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was that when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. 
So, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. We know, Lord, that there's a message that we need to hear. We know, Father, that that you're dealing with our hearts in various ways and all kinds of situations all across our congregation, our campus today. And, Lord, we know that we don't come here because of some coincidence, but you have divinely ordained for us to be here to hear what you want us to hear, whether that been through a song or through the preaching of the word or something else. But, Lord, we pray that we'd be open and receptive to hear exactly what we need to hear this morning. Father, I pray that you would have your way in every heart and life, that those here don't know Jesus, that this would be the hour of salvation. And for those of us who do, may we walk away with a, with a desire in our hearts and our lives to be more like you and to love you more. And we pray that you'd have your way in us. But Father, I pray that you'd use me simply as your instrument. Lord, that you would speak in powerful ways, that you would work in the lives and hearts of all of us here today. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Well, you see the outline for today's message is in your bulletin. And I hope nobody had a heart attack when they saw all this. This will be about the same amount of time. But we just got more, more, uh, more lines to fill in. That's all today, all right? So what we're looking at here is we're thinking about this idea of moving forward. And that there are times in our lives... Uh, when it is hard for us and we feel like we can't or we don't want to move forward. And we see some of that here in this story here, especially when we look at Samuel. So we're going to look here and find, first off, forward faithfulness in our pits. In the pits. Any of you all ever been in the pits? Do you know what the pits are? Y'all, y'all talk like that here in the big city? That's how they talk in the country anyway. But do you, do you know what it is to be in the pits? Amen? You ever been in the pits? Y'all with me this morning, right? Yeah, we know what that means, to be in the pits, be in a ditch, to be down, be cast, cast down. Well, I know all of us probably know kind of what that's like, to be down in the pits. And so what we need to see here is that sometimes we get in the pits. But even in the pits of life, we're to continue to move forward in our faith. And what we find here about Samuel is that Samuel is in the pits. Where do you see that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's take a look here. We find here in chapter 15 that after the Lord had, had taken the kingdom away from Saul because of Saul's disobedience, you remember from last week, the Bible tells us that all night long Samuel grieved for Saul. And then we find at the end of chapter 15 in verse 35 that it tells us that Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king of Israel. Then we move into chapter 16 in verse 1. And in the first verse there in chapter 16, the the Bible tells us that the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected you from reigning over Israel? And then he tells him what he needs to do then. We'll get that in a second. Here we find that Samuel is in the pits. The Bible tells us here that he is mourning. We don't know how long it is between the end of 15 and and the very first verse of 16. It could have been a long while. It could have been a short while. But either way, we find that Samuel is mourning over Saul. He's in the pits. The the Hebrew word for mourn there means to be sad, to to have sorrow over a sad situation. 
It also means that to, to have be without vigor, to be without vitality. There's no life in him. He's weak. Uh, it means to walk with the head cast down. He's in the pits. He is mourning. He is grieving. The word also means uh, to dry up, uh, to lie parched, something that lays parched on the ground, to dry up. And so sometimes when we feel like all the life has just gone out of us because of something that someone has said or something that someone has done or something that we have been through, we feel like that we are in the pits. And as we're in the pits, we cannot, we do not, we have a hard time moving forward in our faith. And that's exactly what we see here with Samuel. Because it is hard, let's just be honest, it is hard sometimes to move in our faith when we are in those pits of life. When there has been pain, when there has been loss, when there has been struggle, it's hard for us to move forward. Maybe we have felt betrayed. Maybe we have felt lied to that we don't know if we can go on or stay right where we are or to turn around at all. We just don't know if we can do it. We don't feel like it because we are in the pits. Now, and when we see that, we know that the Bible tells us that we're to move forward. And what we find here is that God has a word for Samuel as he is mourning. And so what we find here is we find God's motivation. We find God's motivation to move forward. Here's God's motivation. Look at verse 1 there again. He's, the Lord says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from, main, remain, from reigning over Israel? So the Lord speaks to Samuel. Samuel is mourning. He's been mourning. We don't know how long, but he's mourning. He's grieved. His head is cast down. He is weak. He has no vigor, no vitality. He feels parched. He's dried up. And so the Lord says to him, look, look, Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? So what the Lord is saying to Samuel is, Samuel, quit wallowing in your self-pity. Quit wallowing in your self-pity. I know what I am doing, and you need to quit wallowing in this self-pity. And how long are you going to keep at this? How long are you going to keep, keep mourning? How long are you going to stay in the pits over Saul? Wallowing in self-pity. Y'all know what I'm talking about there? Oh, my. Mm. We've all been there and done that, haven't we? Living in self-pity, somebody has done something, somebody has said something, something has happened in our life, and we feel sorry for ourselves, and we get in a ditch, we get in the pit, and we cannot move forward. Boy, we have a hard time. It happened in my own life in ministry years ago, where I felt like there was a family that had done something that I felt truly betrayed, and it broke my heart, and I just wallowed and wallowed and prayed for them, wallowed them and prayed and prayed, but wallowed in self-pity. And I remember being on the treadmill praying one morning and didn't hear an audible voice, but the Lord just spoke to me and said, how long are you going to be feeling sorry for yourself? It's time to move on. And beloved, that's what he's saying to Samuel here. Quit feeling sorry for yourself and move on. That's what he's telling him here. Don't wallow in self-pity. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? But then he also says to him, on top of that, he says, fill your horn with oil. He's telling him to do something. In other words, what he's saying, to motivate him, quit feeling sorry for yourself, but also fill your horn with oil because I still have work for you to do. 
Many times, friends, we will get in the pits of life and we will just wallow there. We will stay there. The Lord says, look, it's time to quit feeling sorry for yourself. I still got work for you to do. Fill the horn with oil. But then not only that, but he says, and go, I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. So not only is he saying, look, quit wallowing in your self-pity. I've got work for you to do. But he also says, go to Jesse's place. In other words, I got a place for you to go. I have a place for you. So don't be lazy. Don't be hanging out there, but rather get up and go. Keep moving forward. He says, fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have, watch this, I have provided myself a king among his sons. So the Lord is saying, as he's motivating Samuel, look, quit wallowing in your self-pity. I still have work for you to do. I have a place for you to go, and I have provided myself a king. Look, I have a reason, the Lord says. In other words, he's saying, I am in control. I know what I'm doing. So the Lord is motivating us, even in the pits of life, things that we don't, uh, when we get down in there and we get the cast down and mourning and feeling sorry for ourselves, the Lord says, look, don't wallow there. I've got work for you to do. I have a place for you to go. And I have a reason. I'm still on the throne. Beloved, this is what we need to hear from the Lord. His motivation. We need to hear his motivation that when we are weak, that when we are without that vigor and that vitality, when we are in the pits, when we are walking with our heads cast down, walking around mourning and grieving, we need to understand that he is the one who motivates us to keep moving forward. David learned this as he was dealing with grieving uh, as as the king uh, in his lifetime, where he grieved over the rebellion of his son Absalom. And as he had been kicked out of his own kingdom and he was in the fields and he was grieving over and mourning over what had taken place, he, he penned Psalm chapter 3. And in that chapter, it, it, begins, it begins and then in verse 2 it says, Many are they who rise up against me. There are a lot of people who are against me. And then in verse 3 he says, But you, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and watch this, and the one who lifts up my head. It is the Lord who is the one who is able to reach down and lift us up out of the pits of life and keep us moving forward. Amen? Y'all with me? There are pits that we're going to go through, my beloved, but let me tell you something. The Lord is there with us. He is telling us, don't wallow in the self-pity. I still have something for you to do. I have a place for you to go, and I have a reason because I'm still the king, and I'm I'm in control, and I'm the one who lifts you up to keep us moving forward. Boy, isn't that good? Let us keep moving forward and be faithful to move forward even when we are in the pits. Then secondly, not only do we have forward faithfulness in the pits, but also we're to have forward faithfulness in our perils. In our perils. Look at verse 2 again, the first part of verse 2. Samuel said, Wait a minute, Lord. Hang on a minute. How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Peril. Samuel recognizes that there is a potential for peril in what God has asked him to do. And so he asked the question, Okay, I hear what you're saying, God, but how can I do this? I may not be able to complete the task that you have set before me because I could die in this. How can I accomplish what you want me to do? There is peril ahead. 
And beloved, isn't that so like us too often in that we are often paralyzed by our fear? We're paralyzed asking the questions, Lord, that, I don't understand that. And so what, what if this happens? What, what if that this could happen? What if that happens? The what ifs, well, that's a question we ask a lot, isn't it? When we are supposed to be moving forward in our faith and we know the directions in which we need to go, but oftentimes we will ask the question, but, 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 but God, what, what if? What if? What if I can't? What if I, don't, what if I stumble over my words? What if, I go, what if I give and what if I, uh, I get stuck somewhere? Or what if I go somewhere and I get stuck? Or what if I get sick? Or what if I lose my house? Or what if this? Or what if that? Or what, there's danger ahead, God, so I don't know what's around the corner. So what if? Beloved, you need to hear this this morning. Our God does not dwell in the what ifs of life. Amen? He does not dwell in the what ifs. But at that moment, then when we seize up in fear and we're paralyzed that we cannot move forward to share or to go or to serve or whatever, and we think we cannot move forward, then we need to hear God's invitation. God's invitation. That's the next line you need to fill in there. God's invitation. Because look at what the Lord says. So Samuel says to the Lord, he, 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 he needs to go forward in his perils, but he's asking the question, well, how can I do this? If Saul hears it, then he's going to kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So what is God doing here? He is inviting Samuel to join him in the sacrifice. He is inviting Samuel to join him in the work that he has already planned out, that he has already laid out. So the question is, the Lord is speaking to Samuel. He's basically saying to Samuel, Samuel, what do you have to be afraid of? Because look, as you hear what he is saying to Samuel to do, look, take the heifer, say, I'm come to sacrifice, invite Jesse to the sacrifice. Look, I'm going to show you what you need to do, uh, and then you shall anoint for me the one that I name to you. He's saying, look, what do you have to fear? Because as we may be afraid of what, is, what if is going to happen, the Lord is saying, look, I go before you. I go with you. I know what's going to happen. I know where you need to go. I know what you need to say. I know what you need to do. And I will show you what you're to do. And I will give you guidance all along the way. So what he is saying is, is that I am there. The Lord is there. And so he's inviting us to join him in what he's doing. But he's already there. So, beloved, when we get to those times in life when, when fear paralyzes us, when we know we need to be moving forward, but we're asking the question, what if we need to hear God's invitation? Look, you are joining me in this endeavor. I am already there before you. I already know what you need to say. I already know where you need to go. I already know the path you're going to take. I already know it all, and I'm there before you even get there. Oh, how we need that reminder. Amen? Don't be afraid to move forward. When God says move, don't be afraid to move forward. We know the passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. You know that passage of Scripture. Moses, the leader of all the Israelites who brought the people out of Egypt, he has now died as we come to the book of Joshua. And Joshua is named as the successor to, to Moses. Joshua has got some mighty big sandals to fill, doesn't he? 
and Moses. He is now the new leader. And so if you were Joshua, I suspect you'd be feeling quite intimidated by this new responsibility that he has. But now he has the word from the Lord that says to him in Joshua 1.9 that says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God, watch this, is with you wherever you go. Well, that's good, isn't it? So when we come to the perils of life, those things that paralyze us, we feel like there's danger or uncertainty, we need to know that the Lord is with us wherever we go, and He already has it planned out. Again, we find this very same characteristic of later in David of trusting the Lord, even when fear tries to overwhelm him. Now, maybe he learned that while he was in the lonely fields, uncertain about the wild animals in the nighttime. Or maybe he was in the lonely palace and he was uncertain of his wild enemies. Whatever the case, he learned that he didn't have to be afraid as long as he was following the Lord. In Psalm 27, 1, he wrote these words later in life. He said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? For the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Beloved, in this culture in which we live today and all that we see on the news day in and day out, when the culture and the world is pushing against us about keeping our mouths shut about Jesus Christ, we can claim the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? For he is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Let us move forward even in the perils because we have nothing to fear as believers. Did you hear that? We have nothing to fear as believers. Nothing. Nothing. To live as Christ, to die as gain. There is nothing for us to fear as believers. Nothing. Amen? Nothing. And so Samuel hears the word of God. He hears this invitation. He gets that motivation. And what we find is that he does indeed move forward. As a matter of fact, you see that in verse 4 and 5. So Samuel did what the Lord said. And he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And they said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them, invited Jesse and his sons, invited them to the sacrifice. So Samuel went forward in faithfulness as he had the motivation of God, the invitation of God, he went forward, and beloved, listen, so must we. We must continually move forward. Move forward in our faith. Growing, serving, sharing, going, giving, loving, being, all that God wants us to be. Moving forward. Moving forward when we're in the pits. Moving forward in the perils, but also see there needs to be a forward faithfulness in our perplexities. Our perplexities. Those times... Maybe you don't have times like this, okay? But there's those times when we just don't understand what the Lord is doing. I don't understand what are you doing, Lord. I don't understand this. It's perplexing me. I don't understand what it is that you are doing in my life, what you're doing around me. It's, just not, make, it's not rational to me. It's not logical to me. Well, we find that Samuel has some of that here as well. Look at verse 6 and following. He says, so as he's invited Jesse and the sons, invited them to the sacrifice, verse 6, so it was that when they came, that he looked at Eliab, and he said, surely, you know, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This, is, this has got to be the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. 
For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now you can just see Samuel scratching his head a little bit. Okay, all right. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. May this guy be him. Nope. Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And so Samuel asked Jesse, he says, Are all the young men here? Is this it? Is this it? And so you have to think that what is happening in Samuel's life is it doesn't make sense to him. He's asking himself, what are you doing, Lord? It seems obvious to me that Eliab is the one surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This has got to be the guy. It seems obvious to me who the king should be. So what you're showing me, Lord, just does not make sense to me. Y'all ever been there before? Well, I understand this route you want me to go on. I don't know this, I don't understand this journey. I don't understand why I got to go to this school. I got to go to this base. I don't understand why I got to go to this work or got to go to those people. I don't understand. Beloved, in the, in, the, in the perplexities of life, we need to understand this God's observation. God's observation. Let's go back and look at verse 7 again. The Lord said to Samuel, Watch. Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord, watch, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so here's the thing, friends. There are many times, many, many times in our lives we do not understand why God's taken us down this path, why this door has opened to us, or why this door is closed to us, or why we need to go in that direction. We don't understand these things or that things. But here's what we need to understand is God's observation is that the Lord says, look, I see things that you don't. Amen? I see things that you don't. Well, how does he do that? Because he's God. Amen? That's how he does it. Because he's God. He sees things that we can't see because he is God. And so, listen, you may be perplexed at what he is doing, but, beloved, he is not perplexed. Amen? Nothing shocks him. Nothing surprises him. Nothing. When these guys walk before him, he says, man, I thought that was a guy. That's not our Lord. Amen? The Lord already knows what he's doing because he sees things that we cannot see. He knows exactly what he is doing, even when it does not make sense to us, and this just wasn't logical to Samuel. You see there in verse 11, again, in verse 12, he says, Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? In other words, is this it? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, well, then send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And so he went and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. Here we're introduced to David. And what we find about David as we're introduced to him in the scripture is that David was the runt of the litter. David was the runt of the litter. Well, pastor, where do you see that? Well, let me just tell you where, how I see that. Well, we know that he was the youngest of these brothers, number one. But also we see that he's keeping the sheep. And see, the shepherd was the most despised job out there. They didn't want, nobody else wanted that job. Nobody else wanted that responsibility. But what's David doing? Well, he's keeping the sheep. 
But not only that, you have to understand, too, that back up in verse 5, where it says that, uh, that Samuel invited Je- consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice, all of his sons, you would think at that moment Jesse would say, well, you know what, i got another boy, he's out in the field, we need to bring him in, too. David was not invited to the sacrifice. He wasn't invited, he's the youngest, he's the runt, He's, he's the one who's out there keeping those sheep, not invited to the sacrifice. And then we come, even to verse 12, and we have this description of what he looks like. And this description, we look at it and it says, well, he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Now, the word ruddy uh, could mean like a red tintish tan, or it could be red-haired. Bright eyes and good looking. And since it says he's good looking, I have to agree that he's probably red-haired. I mean, that's just obvious to me. So. But nevertheless, we look at that description and we think, man, this is a handsome young man. But the truth is, is that he really was young. Uh, some say that he was 10 years old here. Some say 20, but most commentators land at 15. So he's 15 years old. But we look at this passage of Scripture, man, he's ruddy, bright eyes, good looking, man, he's the perfect picture of a king. But that, we're seeing this through Western eyes, Western civilization eyes. In that day, what is happening is the author of this is comparing him to Eliab, who has a strong physical stature, who who is obvious that he is the king. And so basically what he is saying about him being ruddy, bright eyes, good looking is that somebody would come up to him and say, hey, that's a, pat him on the head and say, that's a cute little kid you got there. He's the runt of the litter. And so as Samuel would see David even, you would think that he would say, you know what? I see Eliab, I see David. I see Eliab, I see David. I see Abinadab, I see David. I see Shammah. See, this just does not make sense to me. But since the Lord sees things that we don't, we must, listen, we must depend on him always to give us wisdom. Because in verse 12, after it shows what David looks like, the Lord says to Samuel, Arise, get up, anoint him, for this is the one. The Lord knows what he's doing. The Lord sees things that we cannot see. The Lord sees things that we do not see. And here's the thing, is that when we look at the life of David, boy, it shows us that God uses the ordinary, doesn't he? He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. He is the God who is looking for a heart that is sold out to him. He's looking for a man who is after his own heart. He wasn't looking for somebody who had been in the gym all week. Oh, did I just say that? Even though there's nothing wrong with that. He said what he's looking for. He wasn't looking for somebody who had been to Macy's and bought the most expensive thing on the rack either. No. He is looking for a man after his own heart. Now, what is on the outside, not what's on the outside, but what was on the inside. But you know, this is sort of like we are too, isn't it? How quick we are to sum people up by what they look like and what they wear. Well, that's not just this generation. That's been all generations, isn't it? We sum people up by what they look like and what they wear. People look at folks and say, well... God could never use a person like that. I'm sure there were probably a lot of people uh, in my lifetime as I was growing up, the only son in, the, in, the, in my mom's, in our family where mom and dad, dad were divorced and, and she raised the three of us by herself, the oldest of the three. 
Didn't get in trouble a lot, but still, still nevertheless, got in trouble some. I'm sure people looked at me and said, boy, God can never use somebody like that. Praise God, God uses the ordinary and the simple. Amen? Maybe that's your story in your life as well. God uses the ordinary. Maybe we look at people and we say, Lord, certainly, certainly, Lord, that's not, that, that can't be the person that you want me to talk to, is it? I mean, I see some other people I'd be rather than talk to, but that certainly not, that's not the person. Or maybe it's, Lord, certainly that's not the class you want me to teach, right? Certainly that's not the class, right? Okay, Lord? Or, Lord, that, that's not the place that you want me to go, right? You see, we sum things up by the way they look when God is about to do something even more marvelous. We find ourselves not moving forward because oftentimes we don't understand because it just doesn't look rational or logical to us. But here's the thing. We must observe God's observation, depending on Him because He sees things we don't and He has a perspective that we don't. And so we're to keep moving forward. David learned this. He penned these words in Psalm 16, verse 11, years later as well, where he said, You will show me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You will show me the path of life. I may not understand the path, but you will show me the path, and I'm going to stick to the path that you have laid out for me, and I'm going to keep moving forward because, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. Amen? I don't understand it all, but I trust you, Lord, and I depend on you to show me the way. That's what he's saying. It may not be easy on that path, but you will be with me, and I will be with you, and there will be fullness of joy. There must be a forward faithfulness, beloved, in our pits, in our perils, and in our perplexities. And then fourthly, there must also be forward faithfulness in our pastures. Let's take a look at what David's doing here, would you? Let's see what's taking place with David. In verse 13, as we're introduced to David for the first time, what do we find him doing? He's keeping the sheep. He's in the pasture. And so Samuel took, it says, Samuel took the horn of oil, as God says, this is the one. Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So what we find here is that Samuel is told by God, this is the one. This is the new king. I'm anointing him, set him apart. He is to be the new king. And so Samuel anoints David, and then Samuel goes back to Ramah. And what do we find David doing? What does David do? Well, it sort of drops off right there. Well, at the, you move further in that passage of Scripture, we find that this, the scene shifts as it talks about uh, the distressing spirit that comes upon King Saul about this time. And so he needs somebody to kind of help him, and somebody tells him about that Jesse has a son by the name of David who can play the harp. And you need that, Saul, right now in your life. And so he says, okay, let's go get him. Somebody go get David. And so we pick up in verse 19 in chapter 16. It says, therefore Saul sent messages to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. And so we left him over here. He had been in the sheep. He comes in to be anointed as the king. And now where do we find him next? Back with the sheep. He's back in the pasture. Okay, now you think about that for just a minute, all right? Let's say he is 15 years old, and he has just been told by the prophet of God, you're the king, you're going to be the king. He's the runt of the litter, his brothers are all there, and what do we find him doing now? He's back in the pasture with the sheep. 
Now, this anointing is pretty important because, you see, anointing was a symbol of the presence of God. It showed that the presence of God was on his life and that he had been selected by God for an important task. Everybody knew that. And what does Samuel do when he anoints David? Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. You know what Ramah is? Ramah is Samuel's home. So Samuel anointed him and went back home. Something's missing there, isn't it? This is the new king. 15 years old, but he's the new king. He's the next king. He's anointed as the next king. But where do we find him? We find David in the pasture with the sheep and doing what he does as the shepherd of the sheep every day. Samuel didn't hang around. Samuel just went back home. And so now we find that David is back in the pasture. He's anointed as the king. There's no fanfare. No robes were fitted on him. There's no trumpets that are blaring. There's no confetti. Nothing. As a matter of fact, what we know about David is that it's 15 more years before he becomes the king. 15 more years. He's been anointed as the king of Israel. And what do we find him doing? He's in the pasture with the sheep. Doing what he always does. Beloved, how many times do we find ourselves in the pastures of life? Waiting. And waiting. Waiting. We're not sure what God's doing. We know he's got a call on our lives. But here we are just waiting. I wonder what David was thinking while he was in the pastures with the sheep. I don't know what he was thinking, but I know what we probably would be thinking. Why am I in the pasture? I'm supposed to be the king. My brothers need to be here, and I need to be back at the house. I need to be making my plans. Why am I dealing with these sheep again today? But Jesse says, go on back out there, boy. Go on back out there. But I'm supposed to be the key. Right? Isn't that what we'd be thinking? Come on now. Don't leave me hanging up here. I know that's what we'd be thinking. That's exactly what we'd be thinking. Doing the same thing every day. Taking care of them, so keeping the wolves away from the sheep. And one little sheep will take off and go down this path. And so he goes down the path and brings the sheep back. And he goes, I got them all together. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 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 nine. Okay. Oh, there goes another one. Goes, get that and brings it back. Bring it back. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. Same thing all the time. The pastures of life. I know you've been there. I know, what that, I know you know what that feels like. But here's what we need to understand from God. Is that the pastures of life are God's preparation. God's preparation. Because as David is in the pastures, he's going to be learning some things. He's going to learn about those lions and bears. He's going to be learning about how to herd the sheep. How to take care 
of those sheep and spending time with the Lord. And he's going to be there in the fields. He's going to look up at the night sky. He's going to see the stars, and he's going to ponder the greatness of God. And he's going to grow in his faith, and he's going to grow in his love for God. Even though he's not the king yet, he knows that he has a God that he serves who is the real, real God, the one true living God. And in the midst of him being in the pastures, he's going to gain courage, and he's going to trust the Lord, and he's going to grow in his faith and his dependence upon him. And this whole experience of being in the pastures of life, this experience of waiting and trusting and depending and believing while he's shepherding sheep will enable him to shepherd God's people effectively. You see, what God was doing in David's pastures is that he was preparing him to shepherd the people of Israel. In the pastures of life, beloved, we must trust the Lord because he is still preparing us for how he can use us further down the road than what we ever dreamed, and we need to keep moving forward. But you know what? There are some times in our lives when we, we just feel like God's got, us, got something for us. He's working, and, we want to, and we're drawing closer to him, and we're seeking to be more like him and love him more. But it seems like sometimes we feel like we take two, uh, two, one step forward and two steps back. And it just seems like in our own heart that we just keep going backwards and we keep going backwards. Even though I'm trying to move forward and I'm, I'm drawing close to him and close to him and I'm walking in my faith with him, but I just feel like I'm going backward. And the Lord just gave me an image not too long ago that sometimes it's in those times when we feel like we're moving backward that we need to p- place ourselves in that picture and see ourselves in a slingshot. Because sometimes, you know, God pulls a slingshot back. We feel like we're going backward. But at some point, once he's prepared us, he turns us loose. Amen. And we go further than what we could have ever dreamed because he has prepared our hearts and our lives. Amen? Yes, there are pastures of life, but we need to trust the Lord in the midst of those pastures because he's preparing us for what is to come. Trust in the Lord and find satisfaction, not in the privileges or the power that this world offers, but in the presence of the Lord. You know that David had to learn that, that waiting those 15 years, that his satisfaction was not that he was to be the king of Israel, but that he served a God who was real, who loved him, who has called him out and set him apart. And how do you know that, Pastor? How do you know that he found his satisfaction in the Lord? Well, he wrote another psalm. Maybe you've heard it. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yes, David knew what it was to be in the pastures of life, but to know that God was preparing him for something better. Amen? We must move, keep moving forward, keep moving forward in the pits, the perils, the perplexities, the pastures, and then finally there must be forward faithfulness in power. Latter part of verse 13. It tells us here, Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. 
The Bible tells us here that David was able to continue to move forward and he moved forward in power because the Spirit of God was upon him. And this Spirit of God upon him was to help him to perform the role that he would have as king. And indeed, we will see over the next few months how he will move boldly forward in his faith and lead the people forward because the Spirit of God was on him. And so we know that we too must continually move forward in the power, having the power to move forward, whether we're going through the pits or the perils or the perplexities or either the pastures of life. We need to have the power to keep moving forward. Well, well, pastor, that's great. But how am I supposed to move forward? I mean, how can I move forward in my times of the pits or the perils or the perplexities or pastures? I mean, after all, I'm not a prophet nor a king. Well, that's true. You're not a prophet, nor are you a king or queen or whatever. But you do need to hear God's declaration. Here's what you need to hear. You see, here's the thing. While David was a shepherd who became a king... There is one who is king who became a shepherd. This shepherd king would also be found in Bethlehem, a seemingly ordinary and obscure man who would be anointed and set apart, but one, beloved, who didn't miss the sacrifice, but who became the sacrifice. Amen? His name is Jesus. And when we know Jesus Christ, the shepherd king, as the Savior and Lord of our lives, we are endued from on high with power. The Holy Spirit comes within us, and no longer do we have to think about the Spirit of God being on us, for now we have the Spirit of God in us. It is the power like no other power. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is the resurrection power. That's the power in which we live our lives to keep moving forward no matter what it is that we're facing in this life. You do not keep moving forward on your own strength. You're going in the strength of the Lord because of who you know as Savior and Lord of your life. We are not kings, no, but God declares, beloved, that we are children of the King. Amen? We can move forward faithfully in the midst of our pits and our perils, our perplexities, pastures with power and power of the Holy Spirit. That comes through faith in Jesus, the one who suffered for you on the cross. And later on in David's life, the Lord would lay upon his heart and he would prophesy as he was writing another psalm that pointed to the cross in Psalm 22 and verse 1 where he would say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? As we know, Jesus spoke those words on the cross. In verse 7 and 8, we find that the prophecy is that all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. In verse 16, he prophesied that this would take place. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. And they pierced my hands and my feet. And in verse 18, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. He points to what is to happen in Jesus, as he was to go to the cross to be our sacrifice, taking our penalty that we deserve upon the cross of Calvary for us. The question for you today is, do you know that shepherd king? Do you know the Savior, the Lord, who is our sacrifice, who paid the penalty for our sin, upon the cross of Calvary. Do you know Jesus? If not, it's a step of faith.
We turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. We embrace believing with all of our heart that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us on the cross and rose again, professing him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. It's taking that step of faith, knowing we need him to save us from our sins. And as you believe, trust in him by faith, he does indeed save us. Do you know this Jesus? And so here's the two things to do real quick, so we close it up. As we hear what God has said to us today, as certainly we are to constantly be moving forward as individuals and as a church as well. Whether we're facing the pits or the perils or the perplexities or the pastures, we go in power. So as we've heard what God has said to us, here are the two things. Number one, be encouraged and keep moving forward in faith. You do not go alone. He has a plan. He's in control. And he goes before you. He goes with you. And he comes behind you. And along those lines, be encouraged. Keeping, keep moving forward in the faith. Trusting the Lord. Even when it seems that you're not moving forward, you keep moving in that direction. Because you just might be right in the midst of that slingshot. Or God has pulled it back and is just about to turn you loose. Amen? Martin Luther King Jr. said this. Real quick, we'll be done. He said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Amen? Let's pray. Father... We pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and lives, that indeed that would be the desire of our hearts today, the commitment of our walk with you, that we will continue to move forward in our faith. And Lord, keep our eyes fixed upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, to trust you, to hear from you, to, to just to lean on you and to know that you're guiding us and directing us every step of the journey. Father, may you bless us today as we make decisions of commitment, Father, to continue to move forward in our faith, to not give in, not to quit, not to stop, but to keep moving forward. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us for those who may need to make a decision saying, yes, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. That, Lord, as we come to this time of invitation, they'd step out and take Pastor Joe and myself by the hand and say, I want to know Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And we'll be glad to pray with them. For those others, Father, who need to, to just say, I want to make a fresh commitment to keep moving forward in my walk, Lord, I pray that you would touch each one, that they need, maybe need to come pray with us or just say, pray silently here. But Lord, may you have your way in every heart and every life that we'll walk away knowing that you have dealt with us today and we've been changed by your spirit and we walk out in the power of the resurrection as the spirit of God dwells within us. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, Christ is enough. You come as God has dealt with your heart as we sing together.